think of time as a really precious resource. And then underneath that, think about how to gain energy. Because if you are someone who is struggling to have energy, struggling to keep up with everything, running around but going nowhere, as I write, the chances are you do not have a good, tight, personalized North Star. Welcome to Reaching Your Goals. My name is Hannah Herbst and I'm a certified leadership and career coach and a management consultant with an MBA from NYU Stern School of Business. Reaching Your Goals is a career-focused podcast where I sit down with inspiring individuals to find out what it takes to reach your goals. We will talk about anything from knowing yourself and leading with purpose to growing your self-confidence or becoming more productive whatever it takes to get one step closer to living a fulfilled professional life. My mission is simple, to inspire you to reach your goals, lead with kindness and have some fun along the way. My guest today is Minta Dial. Minta is an award-winning and best-selling author of four books, a professional speaker, a consultant, a brand leadership expert, and the host of the Minta Dialogue, Leadership, Brand Strategy and Transformation podcast. In his recent book, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader, Minta argues that business leaders perform better and deliver superior results when they are themselves and come across as genuine. I'm very excited to have a conversation on this today. Welcome, Minta. I'm more than excited to have you here today. Anna, it's a pleasure. And to get things started, I'd love to ask you a few rapid-fire questions. Short questions, short answers. What's your favorite brand these days? Oh, Patagonia. I have a guess, but what makes it your favorite brand? Well, my cousin worked there, and I, I think they, they dare to be different. And do you prefer movies or books? Books. What's your favorite one? Ooh, <laughs> I, I, um, I'm going to go with Lost Connections. I, I favorite. The one that moved me the most uh, over the last few years, Lost Connections by Johan Hari. It's a book that really talks about how we've lost connection despite being connected. And it puts, uh, he, he gives seven different ways that we can re-stimulate ourselves, reconnect and get energy uh, through that and help us through mental health challenges or even well people getting better, stronger. Sounds like a very practical book. Well, I, I, that's the way I read it. I think it's a, it's a book that's philosophical at some level because Johan Hari attempts to put the kibosh, and healthily so, on how the pharmaceutical industry and society in general deals with depression. Oh, you're feeling bad? Here, take a pill. That's not the best way to, to address that? That that would not be my preferred ding, 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 approach. I mean, yeah, right. There's some good things in pharmaceuticals, <laughs> of course. But I think as a rule, as a society, we, we stop knowing how to handle pain. We, we want a pill for everything. And, uh, and he, for having been depressed some 20 or 30 
years of his life um, knows how at some point at the end of the day they are not efficient or effective at getting rid of what uh, it really amounts to a challenge of life. Let me get to the next question. What is the most important quality in a leader? Humility. Today, that's my feeling. You, when, you, you, when you are a leader, you end up having oftentimes big titles, big salary and big head. And in today's world where you can't possibly know everything, you need to have the humility to say, huh, I'm not perfect. The humility to say, I don't know everything. And the humility to ask for help. And I think that's sort of the one that's the least obvious for leaders. And you are such a seasoned speaker. Do you still get stage fright? Hmm, not really. I get moments where I, I want to perform and make sure I'm in good shape about it. And, and a little bit of stress is a good thing. So I, I, I might think about, well, how am I actually going to articulate the first sentence coming out of my mouth on stage? Do I want to run? Do I not want to run? And, and I may leave a few elements of that to be last minute to make it feel more spontaneous, as opposed to making everything practiced and rehearsed. I mean, bear in mind, I, I usually rehearse every speech three times before I deliver it even if I've given it before, because every speech I like to tailor it to the audience. But in balance, I, I don't get nervous. I, I did interview a, a prime, the Prime Minister of Estonia, and, uh, and, and boy, did she completely relieve me of any stress. I was in the green room with her. I was about to go on stage, and, mm -hmm. and I said, would you like me to tell you what kind of questions I want to uh, ask? And she said, hell no. Make that the surprise on stage. <laughs> nice. Um, who's the person that you call when something really, really great happens to you? Typically my wife. And what is your favorite social media platform? Mm. I'm going to go with YouTube. And that's really because I, I enjoy watching paddle tennis, my favorite sport, I'll, I'll watch other documentaries that are available on YouTube. I think it's more useful to me in that respect. For the rest, I, of course, I use everything else. I'm, you know, I've, I've got presence on every talk, TikTok to, to WeChat, to Line, to the other ones. Uh, but um, yeah, YouTube, if it's a social media, that'd be my favorite. Are you also active on YouTube? I am. I have a channel and uh, I don't know how many subscribers, a few hundred subscribers, maybe um, I, I also did a documentary film and that documentary film has a trailer that's on YouTube and I'm about five shy or something like that of 10,000 views. Uh, that's my little uh, quick hand, uh, you know, uh, hint to people to go and get me over 10,000. Come on, let's do it. And how would your clients describe you in one word? Energetic. And say, what is the best advice you've been offered in your professional or in your personal life? Think of your legacy. Uh, this is a very specific thought. It's a woman called Dorian Delati, who was working in my team while I was working in Canada. And um, seasoned veteran at L'Oreal and, and a tremendous woman, great personality, wonderful background. She, she sat me down as her boss, said, Minter, you're going to do great things here in Canada. Uh, but right now, you need to know already what you're going to leave behind as your legacy. And let's get cracking on it. And and I really, it was almost within those first 100 days that I set down the path that we were going to do something 
big in Canada. And it had turned out to be with Dorianne and her team on my wonderful, lovely brand, Redken. And last question for this one. Who is one of your role models? Good question. Role models. Well, the, the, the idea of a role model is supposes that uh, you that they know that they are one and um, at some level. But I feel like one of my strongest role models was a hairdresser and mm -hmm. Sam Via to name him. Sam was a is a tremendous hairdresser and he was the global performing artist at, at Redkin when I was there. And he was also a guy who would help us with our presentation skills. And Sam has this sort of well of energy that he helped me to learn how to tap into in myself and also organize myself when I'm on stage, how to use my hands, my voice, my body. And um, so yeah, Sam via hat tip. Thank you so much for that. Also one thing just to, to dive in, how come you are American and based in London? The shortest answer I can give is I'm, I have a French passport and an American passport, but I've never really felt American nor French. I've changed countries 15 times and being born in Belgium doesn't help because I was only there for a couple of years as a baby. Then I, I've lived a lot of my life in France, married to a woman who is uh, genetically half French, half Spanish, and a 12-year stint of my life in school in England. And that was so formative, so structuring, that I, I feel much more English in my heritage, at least in my personal heritage, which is why we, with my wife and I, we decided we wanted to install ourselves in London, where we've been since 2011. But, you know, we have family, I have family in America and, um, and family in, in, in Europe. And so I get to travel around and, and uh, feel like I'm, I belong to nowhere, um, but at home everywhere. Yeah, I think you're the definition of a global citizen when I hear that. I haven't really got a presence in Asia, nor in Africa or Australasia. So I, I like to curtail my sort of global, globality more to Western Europe and North America. That's really okay. the truth. Fair, fair. And say, what are the main milestones of your life that led you to where you are right now? Getting married was a, a tremendous milestone. Uh, my wife is a, uh, a force of nature, as we say in French, and with whom I've had two children. And that's a, uh, a useful one, you know, a good, solid part of my life. Other milestones, um, writing my first book, which was also the film, The Last Ring Home. That was a, a milestone piece because it set me on the path of publishing. It was the first concrete manifestation of what I have set out, had set out for myself as a North Star, a, like a personal purpose. And, and that's, um, I think that's probably the most important one I have. You just mentioned also writing your first book. And I saw that you studied first literature. Were you always meant to be an author? So I did, yes. I studied trilingual literature at university. And uh, I love reading, you know. Obviously, I would get immersed in these novels, and these worlds of fiction, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, War and Peace. Uh, oh, God, you know, I used to read a book a day. Wow. A book a day? Yeah, well, back in the old days. I now read more like three a week, but um, it's, I'm still reading a lot. And when I went to Wall Street, 
was hired despite having a literature degree and a minor in women's studies. So Wall Street, you wouldn't imagine hiring me as a profile. What I have always worked on is the idea of communications and storytelling. That's sort of the, the thing that connects all the dots. And the idea of becoming an author was certainly one of those things, you know, hey, Hannah, we, everybody has a book in them. Everybody has 15 minutes of fame. So I certainly, I got my first book, but then the need to write more became more and more evident. So I, I enjoy, from a therapeutic standpoint, writing. It's, a, it's for me. It's, I, I don't really care if I don't sell more than one book because it was just the whole experience of writing is fun for me. Of course, at the same time, you know, I'm not stupid. You, you do want your books to sell, but I, I really start with the pleasure of writing in the first place. With that, let's look at your recent book, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And this book is about um, encouraging meaningful transformation in the way you lead. When I read it, I could really tell it's written from the heart. And I love the authentic self that you bring to it and how you incorporate all the personal stories. What triggered you to write this book? Well, Hannah, actually, the story of this book is a little bit long because it was supposed to be my first book. The idea of this book was going to be the book that I would write. And I had started writing it in 2014. I went to Dubrovnik and wrote 30,000 words. So bear in mind, this is eight years ago. And I came back 30,000 words and I was all excited and I was telling my wife and things are moving along well. And then I got this Skype message out of the blue. And it really was just this with no photo profile. Hey, Minter, this is Josh. Do you remember me? It was a Skype message. And I, I remember just saying, oh boy, this is probably spam. No, who are you? And he said, well, we met 13 years ago. Well, no wonder I don't remember you, I'm thinking. Yeah, I was a 23-year-old film student, and we met on the 11th of September, 2001, in Manhattan at 3 p.m. Oh, that Josh. Yeah, I remember. And he said, well, you know what? I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget the story you told me. I want to do your film. I've now done three feature-length films, and I want to do your film. So anyway, the point is that I then put aside my 30,000-page manuscript, and I went on the journey with Josh to do the film and the book, which came out in PBS in November 11, 2016. What ends up happening with this book is that for a series of reasons, let's say outside of my control, because these come into me every time I put aside the book, You Lead, Pearson approached me about writing Future Proof, said, here's a check, wouldn't you write that? I'm like, okay. So I put my back aside. And the next one, I, I, um, my best friend unfortunately killed himself. And then I couldn't feel like writing the book of my life at that point. So I ended up writing Artificial Empathy as my sort of therapeutic answer to that story. And then I said, ah, oh, finally, I got to you lead. And of course, by the time I got to you lead, it was a very different nature of the book because I'd already done three of the books. The book of my life at some level had already happened through my the book of the past, The Lost Ring Home, the book of the future, Future Proof, and the book of the present and being present, Artificial Empathy. And so I felt within these, this, this work of three books, I had already covered my life at some level. 
And so this book just became a foundational piece underneath and, and allowed me to just write it as I wanted to, as opposed to writing just the single book of my life. This became a, a book more structured on leadership. And then those 30,000 words you had written back in the day, like 10 years ago, could you still use them or was that more inspiration at this point? Yeah, well, it turns out actually in between. <laughs> um, after doing Last Ring Home, I ended up going to Reykjavik in Iceland for another 10 days and I wrote 30,000 more words. So actually, I had 60,000 words when oh, wow. I was approached by Kogan Page. I had, so basically, I put all 60,000 words aside and reconfigured what I wanted to write. But since I like to writing, I, don't, I never consider writing a wasted effort. There's always, like you say, inspiration, materials, thoughts, and you're crafting your art of, of writing, even when you're not publishing. And when you set your mind onto like a big goal, like writing the book of your life or like a foundational book, how it then turned out, how do you typically approach this kind of goals? I am quite structured. And I look at, I very much look at my calendar, what's feasible, because I think one of our biggest challenges today is managing or dealing with time constraint. And the reality is we all only have the same amount of time per day. We may not all have the same amount of time in our lives. So two things. One is look at how you organize yourself around time. And two, make sure you're doing things that are more important than the small things that may be nice to have, but aren't quite as important as the bigger topics so that you know how to prioritize correctly. So every time I've written a book, well, the three that I've written by myself, I'm in charge. Point number one is I make sure that I have a, the right amount of time available. I'm very careful about how I give out my time. And two, I make sure that I'm doing what's important at least a little bit every day mm -hmm. to make sure I get to where I want to get to. So the big important projects for me, like a book, like my Dialogos, the one I'm writing uh, this year, I am very uh, intentional about making sure that I have the time to do it and feeling like it's, it's in my flow as opposed to, oh my God, deadline. Going back to your book, like you propose or you talk about a leadership style that requires heightened self-awareness an acceptance of self, a belief in the process. Could you explain that leadership style a little bit more? Right. So self-awareness is a, is a funny thing when you have had lots of education. And, and here's the rub. We have an incredible ability to rationalize everything. I have this weakness, but I can get over it. Or it, it, I got up badly, I got out in a bad mood, but that's their fault. You, know, you, you, you sort of have this way as when we're intelligent of sort of giving the blame away and finding excuses, if you will, in an intelligent manner. Being self-aware, really the hardest part is coming to grips with what you're bad at and your darker side. The things that are more imperfect and sometimes maybe you're not proud about. And until you get to grips with that, the chances are it'll be some sort of monkey on your shoulder, which can come out in the worst of times. So the, the real issue with self-awareness is to be aware, for example, that you're fatigued and you didn't sleep well and that you might snap quicker. It, it's, it could be that you are 
a little bit of a control freak because you don't trust anybody, which probably means you don't trust yourself. So start digging into what are your deeper imperfections, the darker places within your psyche, and, and try to get to grips with them. doesn't mean you need to explain them out to everybody or you need to go see a shrink. However, if you can ply yourself to be more self-aware, this will allow you to come into the workplace in a better place. Not necessarily 100%. That's not the point, because nobody can ever want perfection or 100%. But in a fuller, more understanding way. And once you've learned how to do that, you somehow become more rooted and are more prepared to listen to other people as opposed to jump it back to me. It's all about me. And that's the, the issue with a lot of leaders is that obviously they, they're smart, there's pressure on them, and we work with the team. And so the more you're able to lean into uh, asking for help, getting the best out of everybody else as well, including, for example, accepting their imperfections rather than trying to cut everybody down or criticize all the time and think you have to bark orders. See how you can model the behavior of not always coming in and saying, I'm 100% every day. Express with vulnerability on occasion that you too don't always feel well. And that is a hard thing to do because you're always thinking, well, if I present that, that's, a, that's an opportunity for everyone to piss on me or that's an opportunity for everybody to moan, which isn't the point. It's about just coming in and being sufficiently vulnerable because you still want to have an ambition. You still want to perform better, but allow for cracks, allow for imperfections. And how often do you come across this style? Huh. Well, I can't say I had much in my career of that style. I did have some individuals who I felt were deeper spirited people. In a business world or in investment banking, it's, it's rare to see people who are able to do that. And it happens, at least. Uh, but it's, it's, very, it's very rare because people still feel they have to put on a mask. And, and that's how the stock market operates. It only wants performance. It doesn't really care about weeping and bad sleep or bad sense of humor or something dark in your past. They don't need to, they like that. I don't give a, sh sh you know, I, need, I don't give a toss about that. Just I want you to do your perform. job. <laughs> exactly. And that's still very much the culture. I'd say, what is the biggest challenge? If somebody says, yeah, I hear this makes a lot of sense, becoming a much more personal leader. What is the biggest challenge for that transformation? Being honest with yourself. Because if you, You say, I want to be authentic. I mean, authentic leadership, everyone's talking about it and transparency and all this. But how honest are you with yourself? And, you know, and, and frankly, Hannah, I've had plenty of challenges myself with this. And that's why I think it's the biggest area. Because especially as you've gone to big schools, you get the big titles, you kind of think you know it all, or at least you're paid to know it all. And so underneath that, this, I'll give a little story is that, And I'll never forget the time when I had a very stressful press launch. And there were maybe 80 members of the press in the room. And I was so stressed that I actually ended up crying on stage. My goodness, what an embarrassment. I couldn't, I, I couldn't hide myself quick enough. It was just, oh gosh, I can't believe this. I'm so sorry. And then somebody eventually started clapping 
to allow for me to recapture myself because I was doing so, I was saying something rather emotional, all the same and personal. But it caught me. And and I was I, I was apologizing and I assumed everyone was just gonna rush out and just, you know, the, the whole thing was a flop. But what happens at the end was that uh, several people did rush out. You know, maybe they had other things to do. Maybe they were embarrassed as well and didn't want to see any more of me. That's fine. However, the two most important people in the room came up to me. And one of them said, Minter, may I hug you? The point was that actually she felt that I had been more real. She didn't think anything less of me. She felt more connected into me uh, because of that moment. And so as a guy who's been brought up to do stiff upper lip, to be quick on your feet and justify everything, rationalize. and Well, this was an example of how being imperfect can be beneficial. Allow yourself to be you. And that's the hardest thing to do. I like this story. And also this not being embarrassed by your emotions, but being proud of it to some degree. Yeah, well, at least embracing it. I assume this has a lot to do with the North Star on how to get there to become this kind of leader. Shall we do a detour to the North Star? I would like to read from your book. And this is also about the North Star. Is this paragraph I think is super, super powerful. And I would also like people to get an idea on how your book is written. Um, let me just read. One of the biggest traps for leaders and businesses alike revolves around how you answer the question. How do you define success? If the answer reposes on items like being number one in the market, achieving X percent growth every year, or on a personal level, the title on my business card, or the size of my bank account, you're going down a slippery slope that is not only unsustainable, it is empty of meaning. But you can't just wordsmith a definition of success. It has to be something you own that resonates within and without, and that ideally contributes to others beyond yourself. This is what I consider finding your true north. When trying to figure out your north, it's important to make it as precise and personal as possible. Ultimately, it should be a phrase that is made to fit and belongs to you. If so many people today are busy but bummed out, smiling but burned out, running but going nowhere, befriended by many, but close to none. I point the finger at not having a strong north setting. Without a compass, we have a tendency to replace meaning with activity. I, I found that part so, so powerful. How can you find your north? How can we do that? And if I, if I replace north, to me, it's, it's your purpose, right? Well, yes, it is, except that there's a little bit more to it, if you will, in the way that I work it. Mm -hmm. uh, people will get confused sometimes with the word purpose. What's your purpose? Well, my purpose is to make money, and that's all I care about. Well, that, that is not the right type of purpose. And the idea behind a purpose is to understand what is meaningful in your life and somehow What will people remember you for after your life? Or, or at least work towards that. The, the way I like to say it for companies is answer this question. 
if your brand or your company didn't exist, how would the world be worse off? Would a competitor just come in and take up all your competition, take up all your sales? Or would there be some kind of hiccup in, in the world order because you no longer exist? So that's really moving towards what is a bigger idea, a bigger purpose, and a North Star. How to find it? Well, it takes a lot of work, finding purpose. So, And it depends on your context and who you are. So, for example, if you're a company, have you been around for 50, 500 years, or are you a startup? Similarly, for a person listening to this, if it's their personal North Star, are you a 20-year-old or are you 50-year-old or, or anywhere in between? Generally, when you're young, 20 years old, for example, yeah, I mean, you're young too, Hannah. Don't, don't let me um, stop, stop thinking that. But <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> when you're young, you don't have necessarily all the experience. So how do you know what you love? How do you know what you're made to do? How do you know what your purpose is going to be? What are you passionate about? Because you haven't done shit yet. And, and so it depends. If you're 50, you've done a lot. Now your time is whittling down. And it's true that the idea of purpose comes into focus a lot more as you get older. So here's what I try to encourage is think about this idea of purpose earlier than later. The people I see who have leaned into purpose most frequently have one of two characteristics. Either they're old or older and know that death is around the corner. Or two, they've had a near-death experience as a younger person. And that puts into sharp focus the fact that we are mortal. So this mortality idea is super important in getting towards having a purpose. It allows you to think of time as a really precious resource. And then underneath that, think about how to gain energy. Because if you are someone who is struggling to have energy, struggling to keep up with everything, running around but going nowhere, as I write, the chances are you do not have a good, tight, personalized North Star. Here's the rub. When I ask people, so do you have an idea of who you want to be in the future? What's your plan for the future? So many people will tend to have a kind of vision which runs along the lines of, yeah, of course, Mentor, I know, I know what I want to, I'd like to be happy, I want to be healthy, I wouldn't mind being wealthy, and uh, yeah, and you know, have some a nice place and 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 live well. And so that these general characteristics separate them from nobody. Everybody has that as a general gist for the future. The challenge is having a precise one, because in today's world, we could, with all our curiosity, with all our access to everything, we could get quickly eaten up by trying to do everything all the time, everywhere. And that's how we burn out. So everything becomes nothing. That's exactly right. You go nowhere. So the, the idea of a North Star, and this is the most important idea, is to have a precise vision of who you want to be, not what you want to do. Once you figure out that it's about being and, and what you want to be, then you do need to do, because you, you don't just sit in a room and monk-like things happen. You do need to do stuff, but start with who you want to be, who you want to be remembered for. How would the world be worse off without you? And then you start putting together the things that will get you towards that North Star. 
or are in the direction of that null star. And and the, the issue is that, or the, the concept of that thinner, more precise version of your North Star allows you to know that anything that's not within that direction is no longer necessary. And that anything with, that's headed towards your North Star is designed to help you get to your North Star. And because it's designed to help you get to your North Star, that means you know why you're doing it. This is what Simon Sinek calls the why. I express it in a different way, but this is what it's about. Knowing why you exist. And when you know that, what you do makes more sense and brings meaning to your life. And if our listeners now feel inspired to get more insights on their North Star, how would you recommend them to approach that? Well, I have a, several exercises that I do. One of them is in the book. It's, it's kind of a long exercise. And, and I th recommend the idea of trying to project yourself in some future and then using some material way to manifest that future. So it could be in the form of drawing a tree. It could be in the form of drawing a house. It could be in the form of, of thinking of a future birthday party. Those are three typical examples I, I use mm -hmm. to do that. And, and it takes rendering. It takes time. And I would insist at some point that it should also involve some tough love friend who is able to say, Hannah, no, nah, that's not really you. Or, or something like that, where there's a, someone with whom you, at a deep level, you can talk about these things. But the first thing is, it takes work, it takes self-awareness, and it takes iteration. Because I certainly didn't come up with my own personal North Star right away. By the way, the first time I did it, I did it in French. And then I, I had to work with it, and I didn't feel right about every word and and then I finally got to the right mission if you will for me and then I changed it into English and it's the English one I choose to use on a daily basis. And you had initially also men mentioned this advice about the legacy and I find that a very very powerful takeaway as well for everybody who's listening to really think about what do you want to leave behind. This is not something you will come up with in a minute, a day, but if that idea is in the back of your mind And you get a sense on it. I think that can be very powerful to really see who do you want to be. Mm. Well, it certainly is. It has been for me, uh, Hannah, that I, after the uh, experiencing 9-11, the September 11th, watching the whole thing happen from my business window, I, I realized that I wanted to be doing something more important. And it wasn't a near-death experience, like so often is the case that really hones in and makes you with sharp think about the future and what is your purpose but that was when I started my journey and it allowed me to oh holy shit I do want to do something that's important I don't want to miss life and that's what's been driving me all my life since then what is coming up next for you what is the biggest goal on your agenda um I think in a in a 12 month horizon yeah my biggest goal will be getting my new book uh, out into the world it's very much part of my purpose, which is to elegantly elevate the debate and connect dots, people, and ideas. And this book at some level really is the, the highest manifestation of that purpose in that what I'm trying to do is help people to have more meaningful conversations, so to elevate the debate and to bike through conversation, connect, help people connect into mm -hmm. what's important, ideas, And, and so I, I feel like it's really 
I can't say the the summum of all my life, but it's it's definitely missionary in desire because I feel like in society in general, we've lost our ability to have meaningful, tough conversations where we can express our opinions with civility, agree to disagree, and learn from one another. And that's that's what I, I really think is important in our society. And I want to do a little bit to try to help our society get better. And this book, The Dialogos, Fostering More Meaningful Conversations, when is this expected to come out? Right. So this is another crazy story. Hannah, I feel like every story is a little bit crazy for me. So I've written every book differently, different publishers, co-author, and so on, different different ways every time. I hear a lot of creativity here. Yeah. Well, so this book, what I did is I, it's called Dialogos, and I decided that I would marry the old and the new. The, the past and the future. So the, the so that's sort of like the concept. And and so the way I'm doing it is I'm writing one chapter a week and publishing it every Thursday at 5 p.m. London time. So the reason why that's an old-fashioned idea is that is how authors in the 19th century, like Charles Dickens, used to write and then send it to the newspaper and it would be published in the paper once a week, and it became a series. So it's somewhat similar to the series you might see on Netflix or whatever, in that it's one chapter, and then there's another one, comes next week, and then there's another one. And so I've written uh, a roughly 50 chapters. I started at the beginning of the year. And I, you can, anybody who is interested can follow and subscribe on Substack which is a platform, a more modern platform, which is designed to highlight good writing. And it's, if you've never used it, I really recommend it. It's got an amazing repertoire of different authors, uh, writers. So my Substack is minter, M-I-N-T-E-R dot substack dot com. And that's where you can find Dialogos and my weekly uh, articles. And where else can our listeners find you? Ooh, I have the benefit of having a Google-friendly name, Hannah, um, minterdial.com. And if you, if you just punch in minterdial on the web, I'm going to guess you will find stuff on every tab, whether it's images, business, videos, or just the Google search page. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, others like that on M-D-I-A-L. And, and otherwise, um, gosh, YouTube, I have my channel. My, my blog is on minterdial.com. You can find my film, The Last Ring Home, on a number of VOD, video-on-demand sites like uh, Apple, Amazon, YouTube, depending on your country. I, and I respond to everybody within 24 hours, assuming or uh, allowing for an appropriate request. You know, like spam doesn't do me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not on LinkedIn. Do anybody. You know, example. No, Hannah, and I tell, I think that we, we need to get to grips with this. When you are approaching somebody, what's in it for them? Have empathy. Apply empathy in the idea of reaching out to somebody. And I'm not saying that for everybody listening to this 
and how they need to approach me necessarily. But in general, don't just put a connection on LinkedIn. Hey, I want to connect. Uh, you're good. You want to connect? Why? Well, I really like your network. I like what you do. Okay. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. And what's in it for me? So when you're, when you're approaching a business partner, when you want a new client, don't just flog them the benefits uh, you know, that they might have. Think about them as a person. Why would they want to buy from you? And, and what is it that you're specifically going to be the best answer for them in, in your relationship? We need to get away from being so transactional to and be make more, it more personal. personal. Yeah. So I think that's a, uh, a life. We, we, uh, this is about relationships. And if you think that you know somebody because you shook their hand or you know somebody because we're LinkedIn on, we're connected on LinkedIn, this is not how we build trust. This is not how we build business. We need to build business slowly with good thoughts and, um, and with good intentions. And, the, the, and one of the keys with that for me is if you have your purpose, then you feel more inspired to take the time Because you know why you're doing it. You're not rushing out and trying to spam and use automation to do everything. You're more in, intentional about how you use your time. This is so, so powerful. And tell me, whom else should I have on the show? Well, um, there are so many wonderful individuals out there. Um, I can think of um, Dory Clark. She's a, uh, an amazing author friend uh, in in uh, the States, um, a lovely man, Mitch Joel up in Montreal, Canada, podcaster, author, and he's uh, started a new business called Thinkers One, which I'm proud to be a part of. Um, yeah, those are good names out of a whole list of really incredible people that I have had the pleasure of having on my show and, and or getting to know. Perfect. I will ask you for the introduction afterwards. And because you're also mentioning your, your, your show, I recommend to everybody listening to sign up or subscribe to um, the Minta Dialogue Leadership, Brand Strategy and Transformation podcast. You can find the podcast on, I think, most or all of the um, places where you typically Every, find your podcast. Even Spotify. Even Spotify. So there are no excuses. <laughs> I'm going to give you a scoop, Hannah. Haven't told anybody. Okay. My five hundred, my five hundredth episode will be with my with be a, with a special person in my life, my father. Wow. My my father, who's eighty four, was the number two for Peugeot, the chairman of the American Hospital of Paris for thirty years, the CEO of Ford France, did a lot of things, and I just thought, hey, why don't I just get him on the show and and do a long form chat with him about what he learned in his life anyway that's the scoop that really makes it very very personal i'm very curious okay, to listen, can't get any more to them. no not really so thank you so much this was a pleasure thank you so much for your time and i wish you a wonderful day hey thank you for having me on hannah lovely thank you very much appreciate it really enjoyed the conversation with Minta today. Finding your North Star is such a key ingredient to becoming a more personal leader. If you are inspired to find your North Star now, 
Minta suggests to project yourself in some future and use some material way to manifest yourself. He mentioned thinking about a future birthday party or drawing a tree or a house. And then get feedback from a person you trust to really see if that North Star is you. And yes, it will take time, iteration, self-awareness to find a North Star that really resonates with you. And I'm curious to hear more about your journey towards finding your North Star. So please feel free to tag me at Delegate or Reaching Your Goals podcast. And if you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, please do so wherever you listen to your podcast. And lastly, if I can be of help in my role as a leadership and career coach or management consultant, you can always reach me at hannahadelegate.com or via LinkedIn. With that, we are one step closer to reaching your goals. Talk to you guys next time. Bye.